that you were in the kingdom of delicate tints, especially in the early morning, when a dewdrop glistened brightly on each petal. The decorative part of the garden, which Pesotsky called contemptuously a mere trifle, had greatly impressed Kovrin in his childhood. What wonderful whimsicalities were to be found there! What far-fetched monstrosities and mockeries of nature! There were espaliers of fruit trees, pear trees that had the form of pyramidal poplars, oaks and limes shaped like balls, an umbrella made of an apple tree, arches, monograms, candelabra, and even 1862 formed by a plum tree. This date denoted the year when Perzotsky first began to occupy himself with horticulture. There you also found pretty, graceful trees with straight, strong stems like palms, and only when you examined them closely you saw that they were gooseberries and currants. But what chiefly made the garden pay and produced an animated appearance was the constant movement in it. From early morning till evening, people with wheelbarrows, shovels, and watering pots swarmed like ants round the trees, bushes, avenues, and flower beds. Kovrin arrived at the Pesotskys in the evening at past nine o'clock. He found Tanya and her father in a very anxious mood. The clear starlit sky and the falling thermometer foretold a morning frost. The head gardener, Ivan Karlich, had gone to town, and there was nobody who could be relied on. During supper nothing but morning frost was talked of, and they settled that Tanya was not to go to bed, but walk through the gardens and see if all was in order after midnight, and that her father would get up at three, or probably earlier. Kovrin sat up with Tanya, and after midnight he went with her into the orchard. It was very cold. In the yard there was a strong smell of burning. In the large orchard, which was called the commercial orchard, and brought Igor Semyonitch a clear yearly profit of several thousand rubles, a thick, black, biting smoke spread along the earth, and by enveloping the trees saved those thousands from the frost. The trees were planted here in regular rows like the squares of a chessboard, and they looked like ranks of soldiers. This strictly pedantical regularity, together with the exact size and similarity of the stems and crowns of the trees, made the picture monotonous and dull. Kovrin and Tanya passed along the rows, where bonfires of manure, straw, and all sorts of refuse were smoldering, and occasionally they met workmen, who were wandering about in the smoke like shadows. Only plums, cherries, and some sorts of apple trees were in full blossom, but the whole orchard was smothered in smoke, and it was only when they reached the nurseries that Kovrin could draw a long breath. "'From my childhood the smoke here has made me sneeze,' he said, shrugging his shoulders. But I still do not understand how this smoke can protect the trees from frost. The smoke takes the place of clouds when they are absent, Tanya answered. Why are clouds necessary? 
in dull and cloudy weather there is never night frost. Really? He laughed and took her hand. Her broad, serious, cold face, with its finely marked black eyebrows, the high-turned-up collar of her coat, which prevented her from moving her head with ease, her whole thin, svelte figure, with skirts well tucked up to protect them from the dew, affected him. "'Good Lord, she's already grown up,' he said. "'When I last drove away from here five years ago, you were still quite a child. "'You were a thin, long-legged, bare-headed girl in short petticoats, "'and I teased you and called you the heron. "'What time does?' "'Yes, five years,' Tanya sighed. "'Much water has flowed away since then.'